Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Calvin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christian Layman Church. So it's good to see everyone here in real life person. So that's cool. Today is the last edition of our month-long sermon series on missions, where our speakers have been sharing about how God has been reaching the world about the good news of Jesus. And today, I have the great pleasure of being able to introduce our speaker. He is someone that uh, we all met. I met almost 10 years ago when he was the director and vice president of World Impact. And that was where we had one of our first eye screenings. And so it was a great opportunity to meet him there. He is a great communicator, a gifted teacher of God's word. He's spoken here multiple times, even at our all-church retreat. So we love having him back. He is currently the director of operations for Crazy Love Ministries. And uh, some fun facts. Three things that Paul and I have in common is that, yes, we are both pastors, but we are also able to be bifocational. So Paul is also a trained accountant. He is an avid fisherman like myself. And then I think the most important thing is we will always be the older brother. (laughs) So why don't we give a warm CLC welcome to Pastor Paul Chan. Thanks, Calvin. I was just telling Calvin earlier how uh, I'm really drawn to his Facebook posts because he posts such good food all the time. And uh, it just makes my mouth water, and I wish I lived closer to him. So, um, but uh, I know you guys are in a series about um, missions and uh, overseas missions in particular. And my task was to kind of bring about um, kind of the final topic, which is about prayer. It's fun to be kind of a guest speaker at things because um, you can accumulate a lot of information and then um, just kind of just throw it all out at one time, where if you're the pastor of a church, you kind of have to kind of parse it out slowly. And so it's fun just thinking about what I might have shared in the past and what's gone on in my life since that time and, and be able to share it. So, and to be able to tie that in with prayer, hopefully uh, it all works. But um, I, um, I've, I've been to quite a bit this, this last year, and prayer has been um, kind of a renewal for me. And I, hopefully I share that with you as, as we shared, as I talk today. Just again, uh, Sharuti, what she said, wasn't that incredible? I just think um, it speaks to a generation that is dealing with a lot of those things. And I just thought um, super helpful to hear that and uh, very powerful. There are kind of two types of people um, that, that you kind of come across when you share things. Sometimes there's people that kind of overshare, you know, they kind of tell you a little too much. And then there's some people that don't share very much at all, um, mainly because maybe it's their upbringing, maybe they don't want to draw attention to them. Um, 
maybe they want to appear as if they don't have any problems, that life is good and, and they're in control. And I would say I probably lean towards that um, personality more. I, I don't share a lot. Um, I do have a lot of responsibility and sometimes um, sharing seems like you're kind of complaining about all the things you have to do, right? And so just kind of do my thing and, and, and not share too much. But I found that this was also kind of a personal issue with me, uh, a sin with me, um, the need to be in control and not have any issues or problems and not needing help. And prayer kind of solved it for me or it refocused me. And so my title for today was kind of the dark days of ministry. And one of the things that everybody goes through are dark days. And in the mission field, whether you're overseas or in the inner city, those dark days come. And sometimes they seem like they come over and over and over again. And I want to look at an example in scripture that, that was very helpful for me to reflect on. Uh, I am going to read a psalm later, Psalm 59. Psalms are, are interesting because they're written from all different time periods. They're written by all different people. Um, and there's different types of psalms. And so you can't read through the book of Psalms and, and just kind of say, oh, it's chronological or it has the same theme. Uh, there are many, many different types of psalms. And in fact, the way they study psalms is that they use this, this, this term called form criticism, where they look at uh, what was the purpose, uh, what was the backdrop of the psalm, and then this way they discover deeper meaning. Uh, we can, you can say people have an edge about them, and depending on how you use that term, it means different things. Um, they could be uh, just real, real stern, or they could be a very angry person, and you, you don't know that just by that word. So form criticism takes the words of the Psalms and tries to put them in these categories. And so they have several broad categories for the Psalms. There are prayers for help. There are prayers of thanksgiving. There are Psalms about trust. There are royal Psalms, wisdom Psalms, creation Psalms, historical, um, impeccatory, penitential, innocence. Uh, there's dirges. There's, there's, there's Psalms that are called uh, praises, halal. Okay, so they're, they're, they're praise Psalms that, that just, we sing those a lot. Um, unlike when someone doesn't listen to you and you go, halal, so that was my one joke for today, so but I just want to get that out, get that over with so we can get serious here. But uh, um, I, I think that David wrote some of the more beautiful psalms because they were very personal, because of his own struggle. And we look at David in the Bible as somebody who was powerful, a warrior, goes, sees, sees Goliath, and he says, you know, God rescued me from bears and lions. Why aren't you guys doing anything? And he just jumps in there. We see them when he goes to battle. We see him boasting before his brothers when he goes out there and no one is attacking the Philistines. 
David always had that boldness about him. But there is a chapter in the Bible, uh, it's found in 1 Samuel um, chapter 21, where it seems like David went through a really, really dark period of time. And if we look at only his accomplishments and we don't also turn back to these dark days of his life, um, we miss a big part of the growth of David. David is running now um, in Psalm, I mean, in 1 Samuel chapter 21. He's running because the anointed king Saul is chasing him. It was his friend at one time. David was his champion who took on Goliath. And so Saul was proud of him and had him around the palace, gave his daughter to him for marriage, um, made his family tax exempt, you know. And so David was his hero, and he was, he was like a son to him. He made him a general over all his armies. His own son, Saul's own son, Jonathan, admired David, um, followed him in his life. And even though Jonathan was older and would have been the heir to the throne from Saul, he knew right off the bat that it was David that God had anointed, and he committed himself. He gave his armor to, Dave, uh, to David, showing his significance in his life. And, and Saul began to feel the jealousy of this. Um, he began to feel enraged at times at how people looked at David. And so the Bible says an evil spirit became, uh, took over Saul, and he sought to kill David. And he, he tried to kill him. He threw his spear at him a couple of times. Um, he became irate with him to the point where David didn't understand. And although his friend was saying, no, my dad doesn't want to kill you, David said, but it's weird. He tried to throw a spear at me. Um, and so finally David runs, and he runs, and in chapter 21, we see him running scared. This is the young man that always relied on God. This is the young man who believed that the power of God would overcome anything. This was the young man that took on Goliath and carried Goliath's head around with him. This was a man that didn't seem afraid of anything. But in chapter 21, we see a very, very dark day in David's life. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to just turn there and just make note of some of this, this darkness. Chapter 21, David, it says, Then David came to Nob, to Abimelech the priest. And Abimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? David said to Abimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter, and he said to me, let no one know anything about this matter about which I send you and with that which I charge you. So David is running, and he runs to Nob. Now, Nob is close to Jerusalem, but not quite in Jerusalem. You have to understand uh, the temple has not been moved there. The tabernacle has not been moved to Jerusalem yet. That happens sometime later uh, when David eventually conquers Jerusalem. But David now has gone to where the priests are and where the temple is. It's a town near Jerusalem called Nob. 
He's there and he goes to see the priest, which he's done in the past. And David lies. David outright lies to the priest of God. The priest says, hey, why are you here? Usually, you know, you have your soldiers and everybody with you. You're just coming with just a few people. And David says, oh, yeah, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm here on a secret journey. It's a, it's a secret mission that the king sent me, and so don't be alarmed. Um, further down, he asked the priest of Bimelech, is there any food? David is famished from running. He didn't bring any provisions with him, and he, and he asked the priest, hey, is there, is there any food? Is there anything I could eat? Um, and the priest says, no. He says, we only have the bread of the presence. We only have the, the holy bread that's set out. But you know what? It's, we're about ready to put the new bread out. And so um, even though it's really set up for the priest to have, uh, you can take those if you and your men, uh, if you guys have been pure while you've been on this campaign. And David says, oh, yeah, whenever we're on a campaign, we always stay pure. And so he takes this bread. He takes this bread from Abimelech, and um, his men eat it. Um, and while he's talking to Abimelech, he asks him another thing. He says, hey, uh, do you happen to have any weapons? <laughs> you know, do you happen to have any weapons? So because we left on this campaign, this secret mission, we left so quick we forgot our swords. You know, we, we, just, we just booked. The king said, go secretly. And so we left and we didn't bring anything. And Abimelech, seemingly clueless, says to David, well, no. Oh, but we have, we have Goliath's sword here. I mean, you brought it here. You know, you, you, you killed him. You brought him by here. You, you dropped off the sword. So we kept it. We kept it wrapped around uh, with some cloth on the altar. I, I guess you can have it. You know, you take it. I mean, you know, it's yours. So David takes this sword and uh, he runs off. And the Bible tells us that he flees now um, to another place. Down in verse 10 of chapter 21. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing, Saul has struck down a thousand and David ten thousand? So David runs. He's still scared. He got this big old sword now and his men have eaten. He just lied to the priest of God um, and he runs. And he runs to Gath. Now, if you remember Gath, Gath is where Goliath was from. This is a Philistine city. David runs to his enemy's town in order to stay protected from King Saul. And when he gets there, he says, certainly Saul's not going to chase us all the way to this place. So he gets there. But you have to remember the Philistines feared David. The king sees David coming and he welcomes him, but his men remind him, nah, that's the guy that killed a bunch of our people. In fact, they got songs about him killing a bunch of our people. And he reminds the king, I don't know if you should welcome him here. And this is one of the scariest passages in Scripture. 
At least it was for David. And David took those words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. You never see that word about David, afraid. This is the only place in Scripture where you see David afraid. You see, he's, um, he's lost his focus. Um, he's reacting on his own ability. He's using his own strength, his own words, his own power to overcome an obstacle that he thinks is probably too big for God. God had anointed him king, and yet it seems like it's going to be very difficult for him to take the throne. And so now he's confused. Now he's running, and he's lying to the priest of God. And now he's, he's lying and, and taking this holy bread <coughs> and giving it to his men to eat. He's lying, and he, 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 he says he doesn't have any weapons, and so they give him the sword of Goliath. He runs to his enemy's town thinking that at least there he'll be able to rest. And it's there that he becomes extremely afraid, scared. I can't imagine what that must have been for David. Now he thinks the town people are going to conspire against him, and he acts crazy. The Bible says he starts clawing at the door. He starts acting like a madman. He starts drooling on his beard. He's just acting like a crazy man to the point where the king says, we got enough crazy people here. Just send them out of here. And David is able to escape. David escapes, and in chapter 22, we see him entering the cave of Adullam. And strategic, it's still kind of on the border of Philistine land and Israel land, so uh, relatively safe. But it's here that David begins to rebuild his life. Very interesting over the next couple of verses and in this chapter. Um, people start coming to David. First his brothers, who he never had a great relationship with his brothers, his brothers said, what are you doing here? You know, when he came out to give them food and only a couple of his brothers were in the military, his brothers, what are you doing here? Who's watching the sheep? He wasn't that close with his family because when Samuel came to anoint, thank you, when, when Samuel came to anoint them, anoint the, the family, they forgot about David. They didn't even think David was one of the kids. And so now, in chapter 22, David's hiding out in a cave, and it says his brothers come to him, and his parents come to him. Maybe, maybe Saul is chasing them as well. But David now has to run. David needs to hide. And slowly and surely, people come to David. And the Bible records the ones that come to him are those the ones who are empty in soul. Those are the ones who were in debt, who were outcasts. I don't know if you know the story of David, but David becomes a mighty warrior. And being a mighty warrior, he has some elite fighting men that go with him the rest of his life. He has 300 men that are just, you know, special forces. He has 30 men that are elite 
Navy SEALs. They, he has the best army in the Bible with just these 300 men. But they all came to him at the cave of Adullam. They came to him as outcasts. They came to him as people burdened with debt, burdened with sorrow, um, hurt in the soul. And David became their commander and became their leader. And, and you can see a real shift of where David, who was this brash, arrogant, confident young man, loses it all, becomes bitter, dark, a liar, a cheater, um, you know, unbecoming, just crawling and scratching and drooling just to get out of a situation to then becoming the commander of the lost, to becoming somebody that, that understand what it meant to be hurting, to understand what it meant to be afraid. And he becomes a leader of those types of individuals. And so now you see this shift in David. So we have these psalms now. Now that you know the story of David, you need to understand that there's certain psalms that David wrote years later that point back to different times in his life. And so you, you, you read the psalms of confession, the psalms of confession, like Psalm 51, uh, Psalm 32. But then there's the psalms of prayers, and that would be um, like Psalms 59, which I want us to turn to. Psalms 59 is, in fact, the title tells us that David wrote this about the time that he was running from Saul. So it's in this dark time in David's life that he reflects back now and he, and he, and he looks at how he was and how God was steadfast through this. And everything that David went through was purposeful by God. It made him the kind of leader he would be. It made him someone that understood the loss, that understood the poor. And even though the days that he went through in chapter 21 were dark, the days, the weeks, maybe months, that darkness, God never forsook him. God pulled him through that and created him to be even a better leader. David reflects on this, and he remembers how angry he was. He says, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from their bloodthirsty men. He, he reflects back way to 1 Samuel 19, where this all started, where, where everybody was out to get him. So part of my job um, as an older brother is to kind of, I've always just cared for my brother, Francis. Francis speaks all over the world, and everybody thinks he's all great. So, but uh, he's just my little brother. Um, it's tough sometimes working with him because he's always bouncing around and whoever he talks to last is what he wants to do. 
Um, and so uh, working with them is, is much more difficult than you may imagine. But um, I love being close to him, mainly to, to care for some things that he may fall through the cracks. One of the things that is my responsibility with Crazy Love is that uh, I manage some of our office property and, and, and ministry property. I've, uh, I've also had another ministry that we started out in Contra Costa near Bethel Island, which is a marina where we have a men's and women's recovery program. Over the last couple of years, it's been evident that we're not very good at running a marina. Um, we've lost several of our uh, docks to storms. Uh, we just hadn't done the preventive maintenance. I love what we do with the men's home. We love what we do with the women's home. But the marina has been neglected. This has been my responsibility, this, this project. And so I, I take it very personally. And so when these storms that hit back in January blew over our biggest and large set of docks, I entered a period of darkness myself. It was something that I should have maybe foresaw. I, I was burdened that I didn't do what it took to make sure this didn't happen. Or did I have all the things in place? Were people going to sue us? Did we have enough coverage? You know, are we gonna, how are we going to repair these things? So it was during this time of period that I, I was kind of in a funk. Some of the people who lost their berths also had damage to their boats. We have big houseboats and yachts that, that kind of get moored there. People were irate at us. And I took this all on. They were very mean on social media about our marina. And all this I just I took on and I didn't share it with people. I, I tried to... I tried to be the calm one. I tried to be the one that this doesn't phase. But this was all the time just the burden I was carrying. In San Francisco, we have some uh, ministry property that we, we, we have rental units also, so we can put some people in there. And so it's always, uh, it's always kind of a strange balance when you're trying to do business and ministry. And you're trying to figure out, you know, when do you got to get hard on people uh, stricter on people, and when do you show grace? Because they know you're in ministry, right? And so we have these tenants um, that came to us needing places to stay, and we put them in. I had this one unit where um, he wasn't a believer. He, uh, he respected God, but he, he wasn't part of the church, and so we rented this unit to him. And he ran through some difficulty, had some health issues, and so he, he says, I can't pay the rent, and um, we said, okay, well, uh, you know, work it out. We'll give you some time. This is before COVID, actually. And so he, he didn't pay for a while, and, you know, I just wanted to talk to him. So I, 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 you know, I would text him. I would go, so, hey, just talk, tell me. Tell me the situation. What are you going through? He said, yeah, it's just, you know, right now it's just hard for me to find work because my health issues. I said, yeah, don't worry about it. Take your time. You know, let's... let's Get yourself healthy first. Got to pray with them. I said, oh, that's good. This is, this, is, this is what I'm supposed to do. 
So months go by, months go by. Still not getting rent. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to say it was over a year that rent wasn't collected on this unit. And I said to myself, you know, this is your responsibility, Paul. You go in, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be the business person in this instance. So I looked up some things I could do. It was during COVID, and I, I said, you can give them a three-day notice. So, first of all, three-day notice carries very little weight. Just so you guys know that it's just a piece of paper that demands payment or quit, and then people just say, oh, forget it, and they don't pay anyway. But the three-day notice uh, at least lets them know you're serious. So I said, okay, I can do that. Uh, so I looked it up, you know, no low press, just see what you can do. You, so I just did a three-day notice. Uh, I certified, mailed him a copy, and I actually stuck an envelope on his door just that he would be able to receive this. I said, okay, certainly I will get him to talk to me now. You have to understand, I've been trying to contact him now for probably a couple of months, not responding to me at all. And I understand when, when you don't know your options. But he should have known that we would have worked with him. So a couple of days pass, and uh, I, I don't get a response from him. And uh, Saturday would have been the third day. And he doesn't contact me, doesn't respond. And I get a phone call on Sunday from one of the other neighbors. And they tell me they tell me that Miguel took his life. They tell me that he he killed himself. I mean, the guilt that I felt that day was unbelievable. Was being a business person, was being in charge of the property, the operations more important than this individual? What kind of darkness was he feeling? I, I, I kept thinking that I had to keep a barrier between us because of that relationship. And I played it over and over and over in my head if there was another way that I could have done it, if I should have tried harder, if I should have done things different. And finally, I had to just confess. I had to confess to our staff, called my brother and just said, you know what, this is, this is too much. This is what I'm going through. I shared with him some of the issues we've had at the marina, shared with him some of the issues uh, just we had at home, shared with him the issue of this tenant who now took his life. And I just said, I, I just think I need, I need some support, I need some help, and I need some prayer. And that began... Um, kind of a journey of healing for me. Um, it began a time where, uh, man, I, just, I turned to scripture. 
I read Psalms. I just kept reading these Psalms, and they just started to come alive for me. When I read uh, Psalms 32 about David's confession and how God lifted him up from that. I read Psalms 59 in his prayer where, where God puts you on a tower, a fortress that your enemies can't attack. And it was, it was through these prayers of others that I regained my own strength. Um, I knew I wasn't alone, and I knew I needed to change the way um, I did things. I didn't have to be the lone wolf um, to tell people what I'm going through, uh, to share with them. You guys, ministry is tough because sometimes you can't even, you can't even explain the feeling that you have, the emptiness. No, but I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be all together. I'm supposed to be a missionary. You know, I, I, I'm the one who's supposed to be the one that people look to um, to see God. And so, 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 so hard when you're in ministry to call out for help um, and to need prayer and to need support. So on this final week of your thinking of missions, don't neglect prayer. If you are a missionary, if you are in ministry, oh, develop that prayer life where you reflect on the prayers of Scripture. And if you're supporting a missionary or you're supporting someone in ministry, don't give up praying for them. Bathe them in prayer because they will have these dark days. And it's in these dark days that you won't know how impactful your prayers really are. But they are. In Matthew 26, Jesus is going to the cross. It's the night he is to be betrayed. Judas has already gone out to bring the soldiers. There's this anguish in Jesus, in the Messiah where he grabs Peter and he grabs John and he says, just come pray with me. And he grabs them and he takes them to the mountain and he, he says, just sit here and just kind of keep watch because I just need to pray. And Jesus goes off to pray the first time he comes back and he's, he's almost irate because they fell asleep. Remember that in, in Matthew 26? He goes, could you just, could you just stay awake? And just keep watch? And he goes back off and he prays again. And he comes back. It's the same prayer. And he comes back and he sees them. And uh, he says, I've got to pray some more. And he goes a third time to go pray. When he comes back that third time after prayer, <laughs> his guys are so sleepy, right? Uh, you know, just, you know, big meal. They're just tired. They're sleepy. But this time Jesus doesn't berate them. He doesn't, he doesn't yell at them. He says, it's time to go to the cross. It's time. You know what happened with Jesus in, that, in those moments? He fell in line with what God needed him to do. He saw 
the difficulties were all part of how God was going to use him. And so when he first felt the anxiety, he wanted to lash out. I'm not saying Jesus sinned. I'm just saying he kind of lashed out a little bit at Peter, right? He kind of, he, he, was, he was tough on him for sleeping. But that's because Jesus wasn't focused on what God needed him to do. And he goes away and he comes back, goes away and he comes back. He goes, it's not about you guys. It was about me. And I need to be in my father's will. And he, he obediently went to the cross at that point. You see, that's what prayer will do to us. When we start acting unbecoming, we go to prayer and we fall in line with what God desires of us. We fall in line with God's plan for us. And even though we may not see why the turmoil is in our life, we begin to follow this river of life and we start understanding there is a greater purpose for my difficulty, for my suffering. And although I don't see it now, he's preparing us in our own cave of Adalim, where God will give you a heart that understands the broken because you too have been broken. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you again. I thank you for everything you put us through, every moment of every day, everything that seems insurmountable in difficulty. God, you, you give us those things, not to hurt us, but to perfect us, to draw us closer to you, to draw us in line with what your plan is for this world. Lord, and forgive us when we think we know what's best for us, and we lie, and we cheat, and we act out. Lord, forgive us, because we don't see where you're leading us. Lord, and I, and I would ask that our prayers would be like the prayers of David, who saw you and your steadfast love. Lord, would you, would you give us that heart, the heart of David that you love so much, uh, make us malleable, make us changeable, make us fall in line. Lord, we give you praise because of every single difficulty in our life. We give you praise when our finances don't work out. We give you praise when our health seems to be deteriorating. Lord, we give you praise because you have a perfect plan and you're the perfect father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray with me with uh, Pastor Paul, if you want to extend your hand as a sign of blessing. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you are our deliverer. You are our refuge and our strong tower. And Father, we thank you for, um, for Paul. I thank you for my brother, for his realness, for his vulnerability with us today. Father, for how he um, makes us realize that missions uh, doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy and that things are going to go the way that you want them to. But, Father, that we're following a God who um, will never leave us and never forsake us. And so I pray for my brother, I, I, um, Paul, and ask that your hand of mercy and grace would be on his life, Father, for all the things that uh, um, 
that he's going through, that, that God, thank you that you've opened your scriptures to him and that you have shown your kindness and your compassion to him. And I pray um, for continued, um, your continued presence in his life and for, um, yeah, for, for direction and for, um, for wisdom in, in all the decisions that he may, faces and, um, and all the choices that he, that he has to um, decide upon. So give him wisdom, give him, um, give him your discernment. Uh, we thank you for his time here today and ask your blessing over him in your son's name. Amen.